0: Welcome back to the Wachusett Wine and Spirits podcast. This is our most exciting episode yet. Uh, we're almost up to 10, 10 episodes. It's hard to believe that we're, we're kind of trucking along. This was an amazing episode for me and, and kind of an off one as well. On this episode, we're going to be talking about our store pick Virginia Distillery Port Finish, the VHW series, which is probably the store pick that I am the most proud of. Now, the first half of the podcast is the video portion of Corey and I tasting through some Virginia whiskeys. And you might think like, wow, he sounds kind of goofy and he's a little hyper and he's a little off. Well, that's because when we shot the video, it was right after I had just finished a conversation with Amanda Beckwith, who is the lead blender uh, and kind of the rock star of Virginia Distillery. Now, before we get into the episode, because I was so kind of hyper and excited, I misquoted a couple of things. So I want to point out these mistakes before you even get in and start to criticize. At one point, I mentioned that Virginia Distillery makes Scotch whiskey uh, and then blends it with Scotch whiskey. They make American single malt and for the Virginia Highland series they blend it with Scotch. So it's their American single malt blended with uh Scottish single malt whiskey. Uh, I also point out that uh the Virginia Highland port finish, which is our store pick is a higher proof point than Morangie port finish and that is not true at all they are actually the same exact proof point at 92 proof each I think there's one or two other mistakes I might make in there uh, but if you tolerate that you kind of get a sense of the passion uh, and the excitement that we have for this particular store pick I, I, I just, I love it so much. It's one of the ones I am most proud of. It was the hardest store pick for us to do because we were provided with so many great, great samples. And then from there, we get into my conversation with Amanda. We did it via Zoom, uh, definitely some, some bandwidth, uh, maybe internet problems where my voice sounds really loud uh and her voice kind of comes in and out a little bit uh so i don't know if that was internet on her end or or our end but if you can get past that the content is unbelievable i i still can't get over the fact that i got to have that conversation and how much great information i get out of it and how amazing Of a human being she truly is and how interesting of a person she truly is and if you guys only knew what we went through the day before to try to get this recorded and how we couldn't get the technology to really work and and internet issues that we were having so the fact that she was accommodating and was willing to free up time two days in a row to talk to me uh, I can't say enough how much i appreciate um again her patience and her accommodation and just how fantastic she was to talk to and hopefully you know i'll get to talk to her again so i hope you guys really do enjoy this uh stick around to the end of the podcast and uh yeah check us out like i mentioned in the end of the first section Go to Spotify, go up to the top of all the episodes, right above the trailer, but right below the show description, uh, there's a section to rate the podcast. Give us a five-star rating, follow it. You'll get notifications when new episodes come out. And when this gets posted on the Facebook page, when you go to click on the link, come back to the Facebook page, just leave a review. Let us know what you think about what we're doing. Uh, We're going to keep this going. You know we're seeing that was the other mistake i made uh i i mentioned that we're seeing more viewers on the podcast every week obviously we're seeing that there are more listeners not viewers um so yeah we're growing you guys are are really kind of keeping us going with this so you know let's keep it going and, and let's keep this journey going we love it we love the fact that you guys are there can't wait to see what 2022 brings us in the whiskey world a lot of things that i'm already excited for can't wait for them to get here and i can't wait to share them with you guys so i hope you guys enjoy this and uh yeah chat with you soon cheers all right here we go yeah now we're good yeah, I'll just kind of record an intro after. On, uh, are we good? Awesome. Uh, good afternoon, guys. Welcome, spirits guy. Coming to you guys live, Wachusett Wine and Spirits out in West Boylston. It's whiskey Wednesday. Corey's back in the house. Hope everybody had a safe, happy, healthy holiday season. Uh, I know I say it all the time, but I am so excited about this. Yeah, it's always good to hang with you and, and drink some whiskey. Um, always. But today was a a monumental day for me, Um, and hopefully for us here at the store. I get to spend the afternoon chatting with Amanda Beckwith from Virginia Distilling. Such a great conversation, and I'm going to share that with you guys when we kind of convert this into audio. So if you're tuning in and you're kind of interested in what we're talking about here, but you realize... We're just not fun to look at. Uh, wait, by the end of the night, this is all going to be up in podcast form. What we talk about here, and then my my conversation with Amanda, who was awesome, and maybe the sweetest thing she said as, or starting to say when before we went on, um, right? So like, you know, I get to ask her a bunch of questions. You guys, I will apologize. The audio wasn't doing so great because uh, they got buried under a foot of snow in Virginia couple oh, days I ago heard about that. that's crazy you know which in Virginia a foot of snow is the apocalypse uh, <laughs> so her uh internet bandwidth not the greatest um, but all the content is there the voice kind of goes in and out uh, but I you know I get to ask her a lot of great questions she gave a lot of great answers and one of the things I asked her was like is it weird that you're now becoming like a rock star like every time I, I go on Instagram I feel like there's another new interview or, you know, Virginia Distillery is getting a 92 points from Whiskey Advocate. They've had a whiskey actually make the top 20 for Advocate. So I just said, like, is it weird, like, coming from your background, like, you've ascended to this yeah. God-like status? <clears throat> and she was like, well, I'm kind of nervous talking to you. You're kind of my hero because you're out there pushing American single malts. yeah. And so it was kind of a, a mutual thing. It was... It's a pretty sweet thing for her to say. It was a yeah, that's awesome. Great, great conversation. Hope you guys enjoy it. I'm still kind of shaking. I just two minutes ago finished listening to the playback and editing it, so we'll we'll have it up by the end of the night. Hardest. is pounding. <laughs> um, let's drink some whiskey and then we'll uh, yeah, we'll we'll go from there. Pour some glasses up. So a whole bunch of questions I meant to ask her, too, and, and maybe we'll get her back and and ask some more. Virginia Distillery, we kind of talked about this before. Um, they're doing American Single Malt. They're in Virginia. They actually do two different styles. Um, one is 100% malted barley. That's all their whiskey. Mm-hmm. Made in Virginia. Um, aged in Virginia. And then they do the VHW series. Uh, which is a blend of their single malt with Scottish single malt that they then marry together, and she talks about the process uh, in our conversation. Once they marry them together, they finish them in either cider casks, uh, used beer barrels, or in our case, port barrels. Yep. Um, And for their regular port finish, which is this one right here, uh, it's a blend of port barrels from Portugal, and from a winery in Virginia that makes a port-style wine. For ours, which was one barrel, it's just the port-style from Virginia. Uh, And she had some interesting thoughts on that. I asked her about our barrel specifically. But to just kind of get in the mood and maybe to stop my heart from (laughs) pounding on my chest. Courage and conviction. I love this whiskey. It's, you know, we talked about it. Uh, When we chatted of, you know, people think that bourbon is America's native spirit. The reality of it is, is when the early settlers came here from England, from Scotland, this is the style of whiskey they knew how to make. Um, There just wasn't any barley growing kind of on the East Coast. There was more rye growing. And so uh, she tells an interesting story of George Washington, who was one of the original distillers in this country. Uh, who wanted to make single malt whiskey, but they couldn't grow barley where he was. So his original mash bow was about 96 rye for no barley uh, because that's what grew. And, I mean, I don't want to just talk about our pick. Like, I love the whole line. Uh, huge fan of it. So their whiskey is about 50% finished in bourbon barrels, about like 25% finished in red wine barrels and about 25% finished in sherry barrels and then last year they launched the line extension uh, where they're actually putting out just a bourbon barrel finish just a sherry finish and just a, a red wine finish we carry the sherry finish here which is probably my favorite in that whole lineup There's so much going on in that whiskey, too. It's so slept on, this whiskey. It really, really is. Um, And not to knock bourbon or our our friends out there who are drinking it, but bourbon is so limited. I mean, they can change the, the ratio of the mash bill. Yeah. But it has to be new oak. It has to be aged for a certain amount of time. And if you put it in any other kind of barrel, technically it's not even bourbon anymore. Whereas with American single malt, It's all malted barley, but then the real recipe is finishing it in bourbon barrel and sherry barrel and port barrel. And then the ratios of how you blend that, Um, and I didn't really realize it until talking to her, of how many, the the combinations you can get and how many different whiskeys you can get just by changing the ratio of port finish or or red wine finish. A certain amount of years, whatever, Mm. or months or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Five months to
1: opposed to six months could be a completely different yep. whiskey or flavor.
0: And in Virginia, um, it really doesn't work. Kind of dollars to donuts. Like a twelve-year whiskey in Scotland, where it never gets above seventy degrees ever. Yeah. Uh, Virginia, like we just said, two days ago they got a foot of snow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> in two days they could be sixty degrees. Yeah.
0: I mean, I. She brings four sets of clothes with her to work. Because it might start at 20 degrees in the morning, be 45 degrees in the afternoon. By late afternoon, it could be 70 degrees. That's wild. Like, you, you're just changing. They I think they have 32 days over 90 degrees down there. And then you've got a foot of snow on the other end. So when you think of that liquid kind of expanding, contracting, like, it's going in and out a lot. So three years in Virginia is like 10 years in Scotland. Um, and we talked about kind of the classification, because American single malt isn't an official category yet. Um, but it's it's been before the government. They're about ready to kind of finalize the federal guidelines. And the one thing they're hung up on is aging. Because something like St. George in California, their climate, they may be able to age it in two years. In Virginia, they're aging in three years. But in Texas, you might get the same effect... In yeah, one that year. It's
1: wild to me because, like, it's such a variety of weather that, like, how can you get it down to a perfection where all these bottles are the same without it? You yeah. You just said it could uh, snow. Like, yep. how, how do they keep the rec house to that perfect temp all throughout the year? That's pretty wild to me. That's, that's got to be a pain.
0: Yeah, and it's, I like the fact that it's natural, too. Like, whatever the weather dictates yeah. is what you're going to get yeah. out yeah. of it. yep. Um, and I know in bourbon and bless them, like it's great for consistency mm-hmm. where some of them are using temperature controlled rickhouses. Yeah. So you get the same temperature all year round or they're circulating the air. Um, but I kind of like the fact that you get what you get you know, in, and Amanda kind of views her job as a, a troubleshooter. Like when we talk, you know, like sometimes you'll taste a barrel and it's it's good, but it might need this or it might need this. So, you know, how do you blend it to kind of yeah. make it right or, or finish it? Um, which was nice because when we get to our barrel, she was like, I didn't have to do anything to that barrel. Like, yeah. it was perfect in so, every uh, way. And that's why it was sent up to us.
1: Well, now I'm curious because obviously it's snow, like, what would happen if ever, like, a rickhouse lost power? Like, would all that whiskey go to waste, or would it have to no. be, like, labeled as something different, or would it just be the same, and that's how what the outcome was, and that's what this one tastes like?
0: No, so it, it's funny, uh, <clears throat> and we always love when our friends stop by and, and kind of share some stuff with us. Um, I just tasted a whiskey this afternoon where it, kind of the source of it was a warehouse that had collapsed, Oh wow! and all the barrels were stacked on top of each other, and it took them a while to kind of get all the, the barrels out. Will it change it? Yeah. I mean, famously there's E.H. Taylor bottling where a tornado went through Kentucky and tore the roof off of one of the Rick Houses. So it got direct sunlight. D- direct sunlight. And so it changed and made it completely <laughs> tornado unique. Mask. <laughs> yeah. And it's I think that's actually what it's known as. Like warehouse C <laughs> tornado bottling. <clears throat> one more thing to kind of point out with this before we get on to our store pick. Um, so and we talk about it in our in the podcast. They kind of batch this, so there's a batch named after Jim Swan, who was one of their um, kind of consultants, and Nancy Fraley, who was Amanda's mentor, and some other batches. There's a signature to this, but each batch is a little different. So while this is the flagship offering, you may buy this bottle, like it, buy another bottle. It could be a different batch just as good but it might taste a little different there's going to be some batch variation doesn't mean that it's bad or off it just means that it's different Yeah. Um, so just kind of be aware of that to me it makes it more interesting because then it makes an incentive to me to want to buy the next batch and taste them side by side uh, and see what you've got so that's the courage and conviction Um, and then before we get to ours just as a kind of Warm up the Virginia Highland series, VHW. Need a fresh glass? Um, so, again, what they do is they make their own single malt scotch, they're buying it from Scotland, then they marry it together. You know what? We should probably just do them as comparison tastings. Same whiskey. Um, Just this is a single barrel. Kind of like you would with a bourbon. How that one barrel has a specific character. Yeah. So, you know, and I asked her what the ratio is. And they play with it depending on what they've got in the distillate. So sometimes it's a 50-50 of theirs and scotch whiskey Um, Sometimes it's 70-30. They're always playing with the ratios. But I I remember trying this for the first time and just thinking how fantastic it was. I got to talk to you about that when we did the the selection and how difficult it was. Yeah. And tasting that. We'll probably taste this as we go off the air. That... The one with all the orange notes in it. Yep. Yeah. Um, which, according to her, is actually, she finds that in the, their distillate from the very beginning. Um, the orangeness? Yeah. It's something about the barley they use and, and their climate where she gets that. And then it really comes out in the cuvee cask blend. like chocolate-covered strawberries Yep, and raspberries.
1: I always get big uh, chocolate notes
0: from this. Yeah, I mean, that port influence definitely comes through. Mm. And after drinking so much of this, not that I've been drinking a ton of it, but uh, <laughs> I might already have a backup bottle at home, I feel like this one's a little bit lighter than yeah. how ours came out and when i talked to her you know again a lot of this info is in the podcast of like you know what do you remember about picking these barrels and what's amazing is she remembered picking these barrels that were sent up to us six months ago or or whatever
1: that's crazy like the specific i mean how many barrels does she have the ones that and she knows like that's crazy
0: yeah you know i asked her like what do you remember and she's like yeah no i remember this barrel and this barrel and this barrel and you know, why I sent this one up. and So yeah, if you've had this and you like it, this to me is just so much bigger, bolder. Um, And what she remembered why I brought that up is how robust this one was. Like, it's just... It's amazing how much bigger. Yeah, that is,
1: and that one's even got way more of a back end smokiness to it. Yeah, but it's not like I've said on record multiple times. I'm not a big Scotch guy, but that's like the perfect amount mm-hmm. of it's almost like bacony like. Yeah, like,
0: it's it's spice, and I think like when you and I and when we had. Peter come in and taste it like, and what I had said to Amanda was, the the one thing we all said was it's warm. Yeah, like, it yep. just it reminds me of, of Christmas Eve or like yep. a, a just a, a snowy night at home or yep. our fall fall fire. Like <clears throat> it's just warm like that. Yeah, like you said, bacon and baking spices. Yeah, and, and then all that sort of chocolate and, and dark fruit as well. Runs so well. And, again, like, I, I listened to a lot of podcasts with her because and, and, I didn't want to ask the same questions that everybody else was asking. But one of them, you know, the the person who was talking to her, you know, how do you switch a bourbon drinker over to this? I don't think you do. And I don't think we try. How do you switch a whiskey drinker over to, That's a little different. Like, I feel like yeah. bourbon drinkers... Like, caramel, vanilla, oak, and Instagram status. Yeah. Whiskey drinkers who want to go on the journey... Yeah. ...and and find something interesting that has a sense of history... ...this is in that wheelhouse. Um, An important thing to note. 92 proof. So when we were drinking, like, Glenmorangie port finish, which is a great whiskey... I think that's 86. It's a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. Um, so typical scotches are 80, 86 proof. This is 92. Yeah. So it's got that little bit of heat that you're looking for in a bourbon. It's got the body. It's just an easy sipper. And I've said it before. There's something about the winter where I don't want bourbon.
1: Yeah. No, I yeah.
0: completely agree. I want scotch. I want cognac. Yeah. Um, even darker. I just want something with a little bit more spice yeah. in, in flavor.
1: Not to go off-kill, but, I mean, I've been drinking some pinhook rye recently. And it's just, like, on those cold nights, the spices and, they, mm-hmm. I don't know, just, like, the, the darker spices, like, really, I've been doing real well.
0: Yeah, it seems weird that, like, big, bold bourbons, I want to drink in the summertime when oh, no, it's, it's hot it's, yeah, out. You it's know, weird, yeah. It doesn't seem to make sense. But this is what I want to drink from Thanksgiving to Easter. Yeah. And I get a feeling I'm going to be drinking some of it in the summer as well. (laughs) Especially when I get down there. And they put me to work in the Rick house. Pretty pretty pumped for that. Yeah, that's so sad. All right. We're going to keep this one short and sweet. Um, Yeah. Again, hope you guys had a safe, happy, healthy holiday. We're going to be sending out an email with all the info on this with a direct link to the website to buy it. Um, if you guys are listening on the podcast, I'm going to keep it off the video. We'll, we'll chat a little bit more when we go off of here. But there's going to be something special for anybody who's listening to the podcast and gets all the way way through. Yep. So, yeah, we'll wrap it up. I don't know what we're going to do next week. We'll figure Drink it out. Drink more whiskey. and <laughs> Yeah. We'll find some. I always do. All right, Happy New Year, guys. Thank you guys for being there. Cheers. <sighs> so good. I
1: have that with my
0: eggs yeah, it's so, so, so good. Um, and a, a great kind of food thing, too. Like, I want to drink that with like, like chocolate, nuts, dessert. pumpkin pie, like like that. Alright, well for you guys here in the podcast before we get into the the chat with Amanda Corey and I are going to finish up one of the samples that Amanda had given to us. This is the cuvee cask, cask strength Um, one of the more unique whiskey samples I've ever had and as a way to kind of boost this podcast, and thank you guys so much because every week we're doing this, it's growing and growing and growing. We're, we're seeing more viewers. What I need you to do is kind of go back to the Spotify page, scroll up to the top of the episodes, right above the trailer, right below the episode, uh, the podcast description, there's a little thing for rating. Spotify does not make it easy, I understand. But it's there. Click on that, give us a five star rating. What this is going to do is it's going to help us to grow the podcast, get it out there, reach more people. Um, And then if you go to the episode description, there's a question there. I haven't figured out what the question is going to be yet. But if you guys answer the question, I'm going to give you for this episode only, and I can see who answers the question. Everybody who answers the question of this episode, I'm going to give you a free Wachusett Wine and Spirits Glen Cairn glass. Okay. So I'll see all the responses. And you just come in, you find me, you find Corey. We're going to give you a free Glen Cairn glass. Awesome. For listening to the podcast. And we're going to keep doing this. Yeah. I've got lots of stuff to give you. So hopefully you guys enjoy. Hope you guys enjoy the next segment, uh, my chat with Amanda. It's good stuff. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers. Again, And here we go. Let's see if we've got. I see an icon on the screen and hey. Hey. there we go.
2: Perfect.
0: Let me get some volume here on my computer. Are you there? I'm here. Awesome. Finally.
2: You're crisp and clear. It's great. Yes.
0: Finally, we are back. Thank God. Uh, I didn't realize yesterday when you said you guys had snow that you guys really had snow. I
2: don't put a foot snow at my yeah.
0: house. <laughs> so I was there, starting... It shuts the whole state down. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, but yeah.
2: back to the story today.
0: So. <laughs> nice, nice. I see the stills back there?
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> very, very cool. Um, so yeah, we'll start over. Uh, we are here to talk about our barrel pick, which is here. Love it. Tennessee, see I've been enjoying and, and <laughs> sharing with customers. Um, I like you, I like stories. Um, I like the connections, all the pieces matter to me. Um, and that's kind of how I sell whiskey here is, is by telling a story and on previous Whiskey Wednesdays, I've done the story of Virginia and the, the Moore family and how cool it is. So to me, this bottle, the story kind of starts with you and, and then me. Um, so, yeah, we started talking about it yesterday, but how do you go from being English major, aquarium, bank person, heading the tours to the lead blender? And do you ever <laughs> pick up and go, like, how did I get here?
2: All the time. (laughs) It's been a really fun journey. I'm very grateful and lucky. So, yeah, like you, I love stories. And I think that's kind of what brought me here the whole curiosity, wanting to know how the pieces fit together. It made me want to step up, I think, and keep learning and helping other people learn. And so, when there was a need, it was just kind of the natural thing of, oh, Amanda's already in the mix somehow. So, I didn't see myself as silly Blender until uh, Gareth, our CEO, said, "Hey, <laughs> This is what you've been doing. And uh, we're such a fantastic team. I have to give a shout out to everybody who works there because they equal my level of passion all the way. They've just been really supportive.
0: Yeah, it's kind of cool. And I, I like the fact that, you know, a lot of new distilleries when they start up, and you guys obviously bought some whiskey from Scotland and you merge it with your own juice, but... So many of them either start making vodka as a quick kind of turn and burn or you know something to make money. So how nice is it to to kind of have the ability to be patient and just wait till your product is right without having to sell vodka and gin and in rum to kind of pay the bills in the beginning?
2: It's been fantastic because I think I love lots of different styles of whiskey. I love lots of different but there's one thing we're really passionate and focused on and when you can have that level of focus it allows you to really elevate what you want to do and so, yeah we were able from the very beginning to have these incredible mentors who have been in the industry for decades from Scotland that got us the connection to the distillery the source whiskey from Scotland and it was just really great to be able to say we want these samples yes we like this we want to play with these barrels and bring it all together and just Know okay, we have a direction that makes sense to who we are, and we're all with barley, so that's what we're going to do.
0: That's cool. Um, so yeah, you guys are doing American single malt, um, yes. which I know we were waiting on a decision in December. How close is that getting regulations and guidelines? We
2: seem to be very close, it's on the stage now where it's open to feedback, and so it's been really cool to see all the different people saying, yeah, we think this makes sense, we want to add these things. For the most part, people seem to be on the same page. So we're just keeping our eye out on the TV now to see them take that next step. So hopefully it's just a matter of weeks until they're able to announce awesome. it.
0: Awesome. So what right now are the generally accepted kind of guidelines for American single mall? It like, seems to be like everybody's on the same page of what yeah. they're kind of adhering to, even though there's no official statement.
2: Yeah, before the American Single Malt Commission, a handful of, of our distilleries just got together and did this then. So the consensus seems to be distilled and aged at a single location. So you get that yeah. single <laughs> place. And of course, 100% malted barley they've agreed on the cask size with a maximum for aging so i think it's 700 liters nothing bigger than that. we don't go bigger than 500 liters right now so we're going to stay there mm-hmm. um, the the biggest question has been how long the whiskey needs to age because mm-hmm. in scotland three years in a day right and so for us we we've now moved past three years for all the releases last year or at least four so we're already past that step but for some of our fellow single malt distilleries, say in Texas, it's, it's pretty intense for, for their aging. So I think the, the argument is maybe one year minimum there. So we're, we're waiting to see what comes out as far as the final decision there, but we're, we're open to, to whatever aging minimum. We have our own
0: standards. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, and I think it's kind of important to point out too, I had heard you on another podcast, somebody brought up malt whiskey. Yes. Um, and there's a difference between single malt and malt. Um, whereas malt yeah. is 51% kind of like bourbon or, or rye.
2: majority grain, it can be there with a bunch of others. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating because when you only have one grain to work with in your mash bill, mm. it really creates a very even platform for everything else to, to play with. So
0: mm.
2: in, like barrels, that's how we get really creative with flavors. Mm. In addition- to our fermentation time
0: and and lots of other things too. Yeah, and I I like that, you know, I've talked about how bourbon, and we talked about it here of like, bourbon is almost limited because it has to be a certain barrel, Uh, it has certain grains, and and there's not much. And once it gets finished, it's not even bourbon anymore. It's it's technically, it's something else. So you guys have a lot more freedom to create flavor profiles. It's true. Um, our recipes with just the barrels alone—it's—it's it's crazy, yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess with that, how do you decide what goes into a bourbon barrel? What goes into a—is it distillate or just we're putting this much in bourbon and this much in sherry and, and this much here? Or...
2: Yeah, the exact same distillate or new make goes into every cask, so we're we're producing the same thing. What I do have to decide is the ratio for our American blended malt products so VHW. We yep. started out, of course, our whiskey was so young. We had a lot more of the distillate coming from Scotland that had already been aging six plus years there. Today, what I'm doing tomorrow is I'm actually selecting some of our whiskey that's already aged three or four years. That's the youngest that I'll touch. And I'll move that into the next um, finishing cast, the pork casts or the cider casts. And so for, for us, we just know it's really finishing, but it's become a second maturation because we spend a minimum now of a year in the second casks, really bringing those two whiskeys <laughs> together. And last year it was roughly 50-50 for almost every batch that we did. Our whiskey distilled in age and the whiskey in but I was whiskey But I've played with up to 70% ours, 30% theirs. It's, it's really fun.
0: That is cool. Um... And yeah, so when you're blending the scotch whiskey, kind of moving on to the VHW, um, are you blending it right in? Are you taking it aged and waiting for yours to age and then going together? Or yeah. how does the blending process kind of work? It's still already aged
2: single malts coming together. So it's it's really fun to be able to do sensory analysis one time and then move it into the second cast and just say, hey, we'll see how it goes. And usually. I pick, you know, 15, 20 more uh, barrels that have had those two whiskeys coming together. and pulling them. Um, I wouldn't have to do that. I could do whiskey that's just, you know, aged in our barrels and whiskey that's just aged in Scotland very directly. But having that finishing time really integrates those two whiskeys in this way that I just don't think we can achieve as well otherwise. And it's just a really unique extra step. So that's, that's been a really fun thing to play around with. And, and yeah, so we have already aged whiskey going
0: into finishing every time. So when you taste, do you think like this one would be better in a port finish, or like do you pick the the barrels based on the the quality control of the distillate when they're they're blended?
2: What we do with what comes over from the distillery in Scotland is we get little samples, and so we can nose and taste and say, all right, I'm seeing this profile here, and it's usually that's the biggest variance because our whiskey is very very consistent we have very narrow cuts that we make. Uh, we really regulate and keep on, eye on everything. So I'll do a little QC check, but as always, yeah, I know what I'm getting. Very standard. Um, the biggest difference over there is the phenolic level. level. There can be a little bit of, of more of a hit of peak coming from the water source that they use, or there yep. could definitely be some, some variance there. And that is what will make me say, I think this is going to belong better in the forecast, which is bus for a lighter cider or maybe let's go ahead and
0: try this and see how it comes out cool and that's yeah that's what ours is is it's the vhw series again um and so you're using port casks from portugal and then port style down there yes I uh,
2: the paradise springs uh, yeah. Number three, which is one of my favorites. I love the story. So, we gave a couple of um, barrels to local cideries and wineries, and we we're doing this straight back and forth. And we found some of the local wineries to have some really delicious dessert wines. And Paradise Springs was doing a uh, purely Chamberson, very much like you would find in Portugal, Solera style. Now, they, they didn't start out doing that, but now they do that. With their Corseton dessert wine, and we just thought it was delicious. I think it's called Swagger. <laughs> yes, and we yes thought, yep. yeah, it's so good. And we just thought, well, this, this flavor profile is phenomenal, how you know, it with and the distillate from Scotland. So, this was pretty early on. We, we moved in um, the two whiskies together, and I got this gorgeous sun ripened strawberry note coming out. The hint of peat smoke was just, it was like a whiff of smoke that was just right and very balanced. I was ecstatic with the different complexity levels. So sometimes there's a barrel that's just so good, I just don't want to flip it all out. And so,
0: yeah,
2: yeah, I was talking to Ken. he was like, hey, you got something?
0: Yeah, when everybody tasted this one, the the one word that came up was warm. It just tasted warm. Yeah. like like christmas eve or yeah. easter <laughs> dinner like it just the right amount of spice it just kind of warmed you up um yeah i mean the response to this has been uh fantastic uh quickly virginia why virginia what's so cool about it how does that yeah. help the aging process well you know i'm a history
2: geek so yeah <laughs> there was a lot of history with whiskey from any type of spirits really because we had uh, it was a slow expansion westward, and a lot yeah. of people don't realize that Kentucky wasn't even a state when bourbon got started. It was an to scene, and then, so we had these farmers all through this area, and they were staving up their grain by making spirits, and so there was already that especially in this, this area. I'm sitting on after acres most of it's trees, but uh, there was a shot house, a little legal shot house here for generations, um, which is really fun just to think about the history of people coming here and, and celebrating. And there were apple and pear trees all around, so people made brandy uh, But when you think about whiskey in Virginia, um, the first to really came to mind would be George Washington. He had this farm manager, James Anderson, who owned barley for the largest scottish distilleries in the early mid 1700s and he came over to the colonies and he was the one to convince washington to make a distillery and he was set to do a single malt salt whiskey but it was way too rocky um in that area of virginia and so rye was doing better and i think the first match bill only had a few i think it was four percent barley the rest was predominantly rye and we've been able to come in and say hey we can we can work with Incredible farmers all through the north midwest up into the southern reaches of Canada now and get really great barley but harness Virginia's climate and that's I think the biggest reason we're here we have great water you always hear that in Kentucky but it's it's true for a lot of places if you look at where the distillery groups are, are located and we have really soft water with the perfect pH that we want and that's huge for us not only because it powers our stills um, and of course our fashion fermentation but also it's the reduction water which is huge okay. so yeah the water is great but ultimately i we're here because the climate is so impactful um three days ago i was wearing shorts and hanging out outside all day <laughs> and didn't get above 29 degrees and then today it started out i think it was 24 this morning and <laughs>
0: already about 40. So our barrels are getting a workout. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. And I love the, the George Washington thing because of the history and people think that bourbon is kind of America's spirit, which really isn't the case till 1964. It's, true. it's more of an overstock taxation money thing that gets that classification. But this is the style that people were making when they came to this country. There just wasn't a lot of barley available to them. On, on that side when they were coming in. Like you said, more rye than anything. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love telling that story uh, to people that this is actually uh, actually America's kind of style. And really, when you look at Cavallon or Japanese whiskey or anything, they're all based off of Scotland, which is kind of what you guys and so many other people are doing here um, as well. Uh, yeah kind of getting into our barrel so yeah it's our barrel finished uh combined port finished, slow proofing uh the whole process what do you guys go to barrel at when you distill i know the guidelines are like 160 you can distill to but is that what you guys distill to
2: we the highest we really have ever gotten it to about 78%. So we double the still in our copper pot stills behind me. And we hit maybe 38% at the peak of the, the first distillation. By the second time, we've definitely increased that ABV. And then you can kind of see, uh, I've got stainless steel uh, tanks behind me. We have two set aside as our bulk spirit receivers. And there we do a water addition down to 62.5% ABV. That's entry strength for our cask. Uh, that's the highest it can be legally by the TPP. Okay. And a lot of places will go lower. Um, the reason we don't is, again, Virginia climate. It's so humid here that, in that breathing in and out as seasons go, there's also, as the angel is evaporating out, right alcohol is being lowered down, water is still. So we're seeing some natural reduction there, which is slow perfect in a sense. Um, I'm seeing a lot of 58 and a half, 59% ABV after 20 years. So that's that's a pretty significant drop. in And then, yeah, I, I've learned about slow reductions from my mentor, Nancy Fraley. Um, she trained with brandy producers for her first start and she's just brilliant. Our big concern was supponification that if you are ready to just add all the water immediately and go to, to bottling, you can really just destroy the texture and consistency of the spiritus. The, the fatty acids are being pulled out of it. and just thinking about the way that can impact flavors is, is just really detrimental. So what we've done is kind of envisioned landing a plane. And so we can make our adjustments as we predict how much time we have. Until we need a bottle and so sometimes we spend like a year doing tiny little water dishes. Uh, but it's months it's months depending on the scale of what we're doing so over the past year we built a batting house which is my favorite building now <laughs> and it's, it's literally massive tanks where we can take the whiskey and dump the cask, start adding water and then we're rigging a pipe to go straight through into our bottling hall, so we can just Turn the wheel, and then and the
0: whiskey goes right out to the line. It's yeah, because I think what did it take? Probably eight to ten weeks for our barrel once we picked it. Yeah, I was the Um, in Y ninety two,
2: yeah, we we don't want a chill filter. That's one of the things that we found. If you go, you um, can definitely have some changes in character. I also feel like. That's a nice happy medium where you still are getting all the full character of the cast that it's not taking away flavors or masking things. It's more expensive for the producer to bottle a higher proof, but it's better for the consumer to be able to have some leeway to keep adding water. And I found a nice window of where our whiskey really shines. And you can absolutely add your own water and it yeah. will be equally delicious for quite a way. So I want I want that flex for consumer so they get to enjoy
0: the whiskey that they like best. Yeah, I think that was a big thing when it came in and you met Peter when you were up here uh, and he was one of the first people I had taste it when it came in. And one of the first things we noticed is it still had the body and the viscosity from when we first tasted it. So you didn't lose that by proofing it down. Um, But, you know, when we talk about switching scotch drinkers over to this or and I don't want to say switching, but comparing, because this is more affordable than what Scotch is going for right now. Um, as you know, a Glen Morangi in a port finish is far more expensive than this. Um, but 92 is also kind of caters to that bourbon drinker who likes a little bit bolder body as well. Um, uh, those guys are so into higher proofs. Um, so, yeah, compared to Scotch, which is usually 80 or 86, maybe. Yeah um it's the best of both worlds it, it really is and it i mean you mentioned proof points but when i see cask strength coming out of scotland it's 108 112 max like they i don't feel like they get that high now of abv over there probably because of the climate in you know that whatever they don't lose to angel share because it doesn't get hot enough
2: it's true yeah it's, yeah, yeah. my, um, one of my mentors, Harry was an engineer at Beaumore and he told me about the location, especially on the island, for a lot of the past houses, that when there was enough flooding after all that rain, you would often find the barrels just floating in water. So all that humidity can definitely <laughs> keep that proof <pretty> low.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so can you tell me anything about our, or anything else about our barrel? Because um, you picked all the samples, and it was, of all the store picks I've done, it's probably the hardest process I went through, because um, not only did I have these three great samples, but then I had, you know, the cuvee single cask to play with and some other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and everything was just better than the next sample. Uh, do you remember anything about these barrels, what went through when you were picking them to send them up?
2: Yeah, so... We work with several different wineries in Virginia and they it's fascinating because the distillate that goes in is pretty similar. It depends, you know, on the age the duration more than anything else, I think. Um, I think I sent you three different producers barrels too, because I was struck by how different they were. Mm-hmm. And so when I got to the Paradise Springs, I think it was the robustness that really spoke to me. And it was barrel number three, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> only have six of theirs. Um, and there were just two that I thought were stand out above and beyond and three was one of them. And I just thought, yeah, I can't bear to blend this all out because what I'm always really looking for is complexity. I think that that's what quality is. You don't want something that's one note or boring. You want it to have that structure and paradise springs number three really brought that to the table because you've had the bright fruity, high notes and then you did have you talked about the warm spice
0: this
2: is, yep and it, and it was that balance between the smoke and the sweet it just hit and checked every box that I had and that's when I knew okay because yes, yes. it's rare that you find one single barrel that's like yes yes all the way through. usually I'm going it's good but it needs a little bit of this and that's when my role really comes into play. Um I have to fix things or bring the best out and
0: when you find a barrel it's like
2: no Good job! I'm gonna give you a gold star. Let me shine.
0: So that being said, do you ever do one of these and taste it and go like, I've got to keep a bottle of that for myself?
2: (laughs) (laughs) One of the things we all wear a lot of hats here. And when I was getting started, I, I guess I was all about hospitality, and we're gonna throw Christmas parties for everybody and and do all these things. Now it's down to, I'll do the gift for everybody every year, and so comes to me picking barrels for the team or <laughs> holding back. So we'll we'll have a barrel and it's like, all right, so if I've got nine allocated to this account, what will I do with these? So I will tell you, it's been so much fun to find barrels that I just maybe on a, a day that's really hard, there's a lot of work happening, I'll just go and hang out with that barrel. And I'll often radio somebody else down from production. Like, hey, you want to come up here for a minute? <laughs> And it's educational, we'll talk about it, we'll get geeky, um, but we'll just celebrate the whiskey, because when you find a barrel that good, it deserves to be celebrated.
0: And yeah. share. Do you track where all the store picks go, too? Like-
2: yes, I have an incredible colleague, Brad, and so he, the first time we really started um, playing with his role, he created this PowerPoint me where it's just little icons of the barrels that i love and have my numbers on and he would just put the, the stories and attach um so um, it, it makes me really happy because i do they're like children to me sometimes and i'll think yeah. about, oh you know i hope it's doing well <laughs> yeah. it's really with them. i mean it's sometimes it's six seven years now that i'm getting into um with the oldest whiskey so
0: mm-hmm. it's, 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 yeah it's, I'm gonna say that cuvee cask with the orange notes to it was one of the 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 wildest, most delicious whiskeys I ever tasted. It was. We all stood around and we were just mind blown. And where that orange note comes from?
2: It's it's fascinating because I find it in our distillate pretty early on. it's there as like an orange oil in our bourbon cask. So we've already had these barrels with the first, light like, taking one of the tannins out. So I think that that's just a excellent note. But with the, the conveyor, conveyor casks, I was starting to find blood orange, just really intense, playing with the notes of chocolate in this really vibrant way that I love. I expect orange, orange notes from our cherry casks more than anything else. And there is a lot of more orange peel, um, like candied orange peel coming but the Cuvé casts are just a blast to work with.
0: Yeah, that was uh, fantastic. Let's see if I get any more questions here. Um, I'm going talk about Courage and Conviction really quick because I'm you know, I'm a huge fan of the category and I, I love what you guys do. Um, and Courage and Conviction so you guys batch that? Yes. So there's no sort of blending from batch to batch. Wow. <laughs> um, so where- and I guess I asked because I, I deal with customers every now and then who sometimes construe different as off. Ah. You know, I had a customer say like, "Oh, I bought Old Fitzgerald, but you know the the current release is an eight year, and the old release was an eleven year, and it tasted different." And then he tried to tell me that it was off, but it's mm-hmm. just different. It's different. Um, yeah. So while that's the, the flagship, I know that there's the Jim Swan batch and the Nancy Fraley batch and... Gary Coburn, yeah. Well, uh, Are they individualized? Uh, is there any blending from batch to batch?
2: Absolutely. There's a lot of blending. So what I do is throughout the year, I'm grading barrels, saying, all right, this cask I think, is going to belong in the flagship. I think This would be better in the line extension. So we have a batting system where I'll go ahead and dump the casks into a vat, begin reduction because, as you talked about, it, it takes a long time. And then when I'm ready to start with the next batch, I'll pull from that vat and make my tweaks in a smaller container. So we're still talking pretty big. We've often used those 10,000 liter stainless steel tanks behind me for this, so I need a lot of space. Um, but I'll start small, prototyping. And Find honey barrels to add into each batch to kind of elevate them and stand out with what they need. And so that process takes weeks to months sometimes, just getting it exactly right for the level of what I'm going for. And there is definitely a discrepancy from batch to batch. My goal is for every batch to be better than the one before. There's also seasonality factors. Um, and, and what I'm really excited about now, I've never anybody this outside the company but um, when we started with our sherry cask we had fino boloroso and pedro jimenez to work with i had other types of sherry casks that i've been sitting on thinking of maybe other projects and for the batch that i'm working on this week i am starting with a little bit of spanish oak to introduce that sherry cask to the mix so it'll be hopefully better than the batches before um but the DNA is the same. So if you try it and you recognize the core, you're spot on. I think I'm always going for flavors that come on each other but have flavors that make you think. And I think that Sherry is the one where I have the most room to grow and, and we can really improve things because there's so many different factors with the casts we have.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like that because to me, it, it incentivizes you to buy the next bottle to do those side-by-sides because for me, kind of like you, like I love the journey. And, I, and so there's a lot of times where I'll buy a bottle, I drink it, and then I don't buy that bottle again mm-hmm. because I'm moving on to the next taste. But with, you know, single barrel offerings, uh, you you always buy those because to me, it's fun to compare and contrast. Um, but I also kind of wonder the thoughts on like the customer base of like this tastes different than the last time, you know? Yeah how do you kind of translate that to a customer that it's going to be a little bit different, but it's always going to be good. Like, Yeah.
2: Yeah. I created a flavor wheel. Uh, gosh, was it 2017 where I predicted the key flavors that you would find from each product um, just going forward. This will be what it's like. And I thought this is going to be a really good exercise to see are we spot on? Because at that point you were really young. And we still are, I'm still learning and and figuring out how things are growing and maturing, predicting better, hopefully every year, what the whiskey is going to showcase. And so as an exercise this year, I get to make a new flavor wheel. And I started it maybe uh, three days ago and I was struck by the flavors are very close. Like some of the very key things, they make sense. And so I called it the DNA before. I think that's still the most apt way to say what's there you'll recognize it especially if you have um, more than one sip of it you're going to really get to know this whiskey because for all of our whiskeys i think it's something that's meant to be really enjoyed that you can take a drink um, and that you can nose it for a long time you can taste it you can pair with food it's going to have enough going on to really make its presence felt for a while and so i think that the core things the core flavors the impressions are all there what I can do better on is hopefully tweaking the finish or bringing out yeah. more aromas, more complexity, um, or finding a yeah. few key things that I really want to bring at the forefront from batch to batch. But if we're talking cuvee, I think that those blood Red orange notes, notes, along with raspberry, raspberry, chocolate, and ginger spice, those are key things that I'm always yeah. going to have. I don't see those changing at all. So if you like the, the level of deadness from those, that's, that's standard. If you want something more bright and citrus and kind of um, spice meets the straightforward clean, um, that's the bourbon the caps for you. I think that there's going to be that format to stick
0: with. Cool. Um, so the plan is courage conviction always going to be batch, or are you working towards getting a like a consistent everyday product, or is it always going to be batch?
2: So I will always retain some of the batch that was last done to kickstart or build off the next one, which again brings out that consistency. I imagine we will scale up our batches. Um, we've been hovering at, at that ten thousand liter or twenty six hundred gallons uh, for a while for, for our newest batches. I imagine we'll we'll scale up, like I said, but I I don't know what the overall plan is if we'll ever get rid of batches not to my knowledge. If, if it is something that the whole team wants to do and say, let's make it easier. Um, I will be game. I can make that work, but it would be just retweaking some things.
0: Ah, I, I think it's fun. I really do. I think it, it keeps you invested and interested, you know, Absolutely. constantly. Um, yeah. A couple of other questions, having a daughter, um, And, and I've talked about this with other people when Corey and I do the videos we always talk about like, it's a great female in the industry and then we always kind of follow it up with like, I hate to have to mention that it's female, but until the rest of the world acknowledges like that we're just people, uh, we're going to keep pushing that. What is that like for you as you seem to be emerging into like this rock star, I feel like every time I I go on Instagram or Facebook, there's another article with you, or there's another podcast with you. What is it like kind of being a female in this industry, which was for so long a boys club, at least in America?
2: In America, yes. It's interesting because again, that history comes in there've always been women brewing and distilling. There's so much history, they just kind of got covered up or forgotten about for a while or not talked about as much. So I didn't think about it at all until, I think sometimes people will mention it, I'll go, oh yeah, um, the cool thing is consumers, because I think that's the biggest challenge for women that they have been relegated to being wine drinkers, but they have incredible palates and are very interested and very engaged. So that's something I enjoy watching change and there's this inquisitive side to to people who drink whiskey male female it doesn't seem to matter they're just really into the story and the the conversations that can drive makes me so happy so for me I think I'm really lucky and, and grateful. Again, Nancy Fraley was such a cool mentor to have from the very beginning. We had a, a female brand director, Marlene Steiner, who she moved to Connecticut, and she's in the chocolate world now, but she's still a dear friend. And just having people like that who are so professional and passionate at the same time is a really great example, and I think that I've always been able to say, I want to learn, I want to grow, and look from my own window, and Thing that's really helped me is that people have been open to oh, you do have something to bring to the table, go ahead and, and speak or share or do this. So I've had people advocating for me, and it's inspired me to want to advocate for other people. So occasionally I'll have um, a woman reach out to me and, and to be able to send her books or give her some examples of things that have helped me has been really rewarding, and I hope I can continue so
0: to keep doing that. That's cool. Um, and yeah, does it ever get weird? Like, I'm getting ready to do this and I'm all nervous because I get to talk to you. And like, does that get weird that you're kind of like a, a rock star and and you're, I mean, I think of you with like, Nicole Austin, Jackie Zican, like, you know, some of these big names in the industry, like, does that ever get, would you ever just think like, I'm just me and it's a big deal or...
2: G- there were one or two times when people asked for my autograph and I thought they were joking. <laughs> and so, like, not convinced that I don't know how they knew who I was. Um, that was weird. Because I'm just me and it's an yeah. industry full of incredible people. So, I, I'm i just really happy to be able to, to share what I'm passionate about. It doesn't feel like work and it doesn't feel like something I could be nervous about because it's just talking about something that I love very so much. People who are really cool. and I got excited to talk to you because you're such a huge advocate, or as you said, our our category, American Single Malt, it's been a challenge to have people understand what it is, so you're you're out there being my hero, being able to say to people, hey, try this, let's talk about it, and helping them feel like it's accessible, because I think that's the most scary thing when it comes to whiskey, that people feel intimidated or snobbed by the industry, and that's the last thing. I think
0: any of us really want so yeah Kudos to you for,
2: for sharing the single ball love.
0: yeah and I'm the same way I just feel like I'm just this guy who likes whiskey and I taste something and I get excited and I want the whole world to to know what I know you know it's kind of the same way we do with with books or with music or and you know you you discover something and then you want to share it with everybody uh so that's kind of the, I yeah I don't think that I'm anything any more than that either you know it's just what we do and it's what we love, so. Um, yeah, I, I think I'll let you get back to your day. I'm, I'm looking on planning a trip down there. I'm probably gonna yeah. call you and uh, ask for some advice, best airports to fly into and, and places to stay.
2: But, we would love to have you out here. I will put you to work at the Casco.
0: Yes. Awesome, that would be great. Um, Yeah, I think we've covered it. Thank you again for coming back and doing this.
2: Oh, second in
0: a row. Um, I'm gonna pour myself a little as we we go out. Uh, um, any other barrel treatments or, or things coming up for you guys?
2: I oh so we have always sourced our cuvee casks which are S-T-R, Shaved history tower or for repair uh, from Spain and Portugal. And we had our contact in Portugal who set up in France now. So I'm about to get some beautiful casts, all sorts that I'm very, very excited about in uh, a month or two from France. So
0: it'll take a while because I'll need
2: to, to get this filled in aging, but I might do some fun finishing projects with those casts too. So yeah. Nice. More, more casts on the way.
0: And is it always going to be single malt for you, or any aspirations to do anything yeah. else on the side? Or get asked that single malt is my
2: first love. I really am enamored with how it shows the place and gives you such a beautiful uh, starting point and foundation. So I, it's hard because it feels like it's the pinnacle getting to do single malt and to scale and be creative so much. Um, I wouldn't mind my toes and a couple other things, but learning and growing. So I'm hoping to, to zip over to France later on this year and clear up of the acts.
0: Act. So just, just a little side of but single malt is where my heart is. Nice. And when you're not drinking whiskey, what do you drink?
2: Oh, man. Not alcoholic tea. I'm a tea fanatic and uh, so many different types. I would say Right now, I do try different brandies whenever I can just because there's so much and a good barrel aged rum has been really fun this year
0: too. Nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. I will let you get back to work. Um, thank you again so much. I'll email you and we'll start to set up my travel itinerary and my okay. my work schedule when I get there.
2: Sounds great. Can't wait right. to see you. <laughs> Take care, and Thank you. Thank
0: you so much. Yay! Hey, you still there? Did you remember to follow the podcast? Did you remember to give us a rating? Also, don't forget to check out the episode description on Spotify. See what the question of the week is. Give us an answer. And remember, there's going to be a special gift for you at the store if you answer the question. So remember, rate, follow, gift. Talk to you next week. Cheers.